All right, Psalm 119. Uh, it is the largest chapter in the Bible. 176 verses that are divided up into 22 sections according to the Hebrew alphabet. It's an acrostic poem. And each section has eight verses. Um, it's a unique style and one in which the author wants to emphasize his love for the Word of God, the necessity or the essentialness of the Word of God. When you read verse by verse by verse, each section is going to take you to the awesomeness of the Word of God. Um, There are 14 different Hebrew words that are used to describe God's Word. So when we say the Bible or the Scriptures or whatever way that we would say it, The guy that wrote this passage has come up with as many of the Hebrew words as he can to describe it. Now, they translate into about 11 to 13 English words. depends on the scholar and how loosely they apply that. So, when you read this in the English, we're going to read words that are synonymous to the Word of God. Words like law, rules, way, truth, statutes. Commandments, precepts, ordinances, word, faithfulness, righteousness, judgments, or testimonies. And when you explore this chapter, what you're going to see is that the author of this chapter is in love with God, excited about God, but he's excited about the Word of God. And it is that, it is that topic, that subject, that emotion that mm, that I want us to explore this morning as we look at this. Now, a lot of people believe, and I, I lean this way too, that David is the one that wrote this psalm. It fits kind of his narrative, but there's others. If it was written later, it could have been Nehemiah or Esther or someone like that. But regardless of who actually, we know who the author is. It's God. These are the words that he wanted us to hear about his word. Um, I look at this as an expression of God's love. An expression of God's love. This is His love letter to us, if you will, but it tells us how to worship Him. It tells us how to be obedient to Him. It tells us how to live this thing we call life. Now, I don't know about you, but I enjoy getting notes of, of love, notes of encouragement, notes that mean something more than just, hey, can you take out the garbage kind of a thing. Uh, I mentioned my wife a few moments ago. We've been married for 22 and a half years, give or take a few months. And um, one of the things that I've always appreciated about her is her notes. And I brought one with me. You can see it's a little card on this side. But what, what it is, is this is probably one of my favorite notes she's ever left me. Now, when we first got married, um, I'd been a bachelor for quite some time. I was 26 years old, and there were a lot of times that I would leave and do things and not tell her what I was doing. We didn't have cell phones back then. And so, uh, you know, I got in trouble a few times, so I learned quickly uh, to leave notes. Hey, I'm running here, I'm running there, I'm doing whatever. And so she was in the practice of doing that already, and and there were many times that um, she would... Leave me a note, and it might be something, you know, hey, go get bread, go whatever, you know, those types of notes. But occasionally, she would leave me a note that really meant something to me. And I don't know that I've ever really expressed this to her the way that I am with you. 
So on this little card that's not much more than a posted note, it says simply this, love you lots, XOXO Ange. Now, in and of itself, I look at this and I think, love you. That means a lot because she's not just saying, I love. She says, I love you. So she automatically points out who she's in love with. And to this day, it still rolls my socks up and down to think that that woman on the back row loves me. All warts, all wrinkles, and all the stuff. She loves me. But then it goes on and explains it a little bit more. It doesn't just say, love you. It says, love you lots. So she's trying to tell me how much she loves me, which is a lot. And then she's got to add the little XOs, XOs, which is kind of cool. Now, in and of itself, if that was the only thing on this sheet of paper that I'm about to flip over and show you, that would be a lot. But Angela's signature all these years wasn't, I love you, love you lots, or even the Ange in the way that she'd do the exclamation mark and make a little smiley face out of it, although that's kind of cute. Her signature all these years has been blotting her lipstick on the notes that she writes, which looks like this. Just to me. Just to me. I'll tell you right now, I've kept this in an old dusty box up in the top of my closet. I can't tell you how old this is. might have been when we still lived over off of Snyder Street, the other, on the north side of, of Springfield. But I was given this, and this is something that's very precious to me because it says it all. This is what I want my wife to tell me. But what I've come to appreciate is her signature. Now, I say that, and I know that you understand where I'm going with that, God wrote this letter to us, if you will. The, the, the 66 books, Old and New Testament, was written so that you and I can know Him. And that He can express who He is to us. So that He can express what salvation is, what obedience is. He can express how sin came into the world. And what we can't do about our own sin what Jesus Christ can do about our sin. And in doing so, there's a signature here. Angela's is a red blotted lip. God's signature is the blood of Jesus Christ. His expression of love, it's throughout here. Old and New Testament. So, when I approach Psalm 119, I begin to understand the author's intent here is to express his genuine love and passion for the Word of God. I listen. The more I mature in my faith, the more passionate I am about the Word of God. The more I want to tell my sons about how important it is to be in this book every day. And I don't mean just read a few chapters, I don't mean just having the head knowledge. I mean, really grasping the truth and digging deeper and allowing the Spirit of God to reveal to you how this applies to your life, my life. That's the love I have for the Word of God. And this morning, what I want you to grab, if there's one thing I want you to grab out of everything I'm going to say, if you can remember anything, it's going to simply be that the Word of God is essential. The Word of God is essential and should influence 
all aspects of your life. And that's not very popular. Whether it be inside the church or outside the church. Outside the church, they're going to ridicule the Word of God. It's some sort of fairy tale. Inside the church, we're going to amen it on Sunday and around our our Christian friends and maybe in some home study or whatever. But then how does it influence what we watch, what we read, how we speak, how we interact with each other and beyond these walls? See, God's Word wasn't intended for you to know it so that you could pass some sort of test or, or win some sort of trivia thing. God's Word is supposed to pour into you in a way that God speaks to you. And it changes how you live. That's pretty, you know, that's pretty simple and basic and what's written throughout here, but it's kind of radical in today's churches. You, you mean I really need to do? Yeah, do what it's being said here. So the Word of God is essential and should influence all aspects of your life. So let's jump into this. Let's begin with verse 9. We're going to be looking at 9 through 16. And verse 9 simply says this, How can a young person stay pure or stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I think that's interesting. When you look at this, the very first it's talking about here is the power of God's word, but it points out a certain group of people. Young people. And I think that's important. Now, this passage, don't, don't hear it and say, okay, well, this is talking to young generation, so I can just tune it out. No, it applies all across the board, but I think it's important to understand as an adult, as a parent, that there is a younger generation that needs to appreciate the, way, the Word of God the way that we're supposed to, the way that God's Word demands. And so when you look at it, it says, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? So the question is simply, how does this young person keep pure? The answer is pretty simple. God's Word. It's pretty straightforward, but that's not a popular topic today. That's not what the world wants to hear. That's not what a lot of people who sit in churches really want to hear. Because everyone seems to think that it, we're just here to have a good time. We're just here to accumulate stuff. And God's Word says, no, there's more to it than that. So, when I think about the aspect of a young person and the need to describe the Word of God and help develop a, a love for that, I know that my sons can tell you that over the years, I've probably sat them down just a few times and talked about the Word of God. Um, although there's a lot of times that they were probably tapping their watch and thinking, okay, here's another lecture. And that's really not my intent. And as they've grown and really shared some things with me, I've tried to modify how I speak to them and as far as the Word of God because I can get pretty excited and we can be sitting in my living room and I can switch on some sort of preacher mode type of thing and, and want to do a lot of talking. When you're speaking to generation, especially the younger generation, there needs to be this. A lot of questions and asking and answering and stuff. But, but I think the point of what I'm trying to say with that is just simply this. I've experienced some things as many of you have both good and bad. 
and in learning things, especially spiritual things, and seeing how, what it's like to live a life and live according to the flesh versus the Spirit. And as you get older, you seem to, I hope, you, you see the difference more drastically and you want to live in the Spirit more than you want to walk in the flesh day after day after day, but we still wrestle with that. And Paul dresses that so often in his writing, his teaching. But here's the thing. I so desperately love my sons. I do. I've had the privilege of working with a lot of teenagers over the years, but none of them have been more important than my two sons who sit back there. I was given a responsibility to, to shape them, to mold them, to, to give them the Word of God in a way that it's not just something in a book, but they see it in my life. And so often, I just want to pour into them. Why? I don't want them making the mistakes I made. I don't. Now, there's, there's things and mistakes like changing the oil or putting gas into the oil of a lawnmower. Those are mistakes. I don't want them making the spiritual mistakes. I want them to see the value of of the Word of God. I want them to see that it's more than just reading something. It's more than just knowing something. It's how does this work in my life? I want them to value the Word of God. Why? I want to protect them from some of the mistakes I've made. Just like you do. What's hard is sometimes the younger generation, they got to figure it out themselves and they got to hit the wall a few times just like we did. But the point I think that the author is saying here is that when a young person grabs the Word of God in a way that is real, God's Word shapes them, keeps them on the path, and keeps them from doing some pretty dumb things. Because you can create habits as a young person. You can create habits of feeding the flesh day after day after day. And although it's not impossible to break that, God can do all things... But you and I both know that when we become set in our ways, it becomes harder and harder for the Lord to speak to us and through us and in us through His Word because we are set in our ways. And I think that's why this section begins that way and a reminder from the author is just simply this. Hey, pour into the next generation. Help them understand and see the value of God's Word. Protect them from coming into some sort of fleshly habit that becomes hard to break. The next two verses talk about priority and purpose in God's Word. Uh, verse 10 speaks of the priority God's Word should have in your, in your life. And verse 11 speaks more to the purpose. Why? So it says in verse 10, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Priority. I seek you with all my heart. I, I, I read a sense of urgency. I read a commitment. I read this priority that this individual has in the Word of God. It's not just something they check off. 
You know, I'm supposed to do a quiet time. I'm supposed to do a devotional. So therefore, I do a devotional. It's so much more. Spending time in God's Word is so much more than just some few moments engaging in the Word of God in a way that just, in some ways, is meaningless. This is really taking God's Word and pursuing it. I pursue it with my whole heart. This person intensely studies the Word of God so he doesn't wander from his instructions. I'm a guy. Guys, for some reason, don't like instructions. We don't like to find directions from somebody else. We think we know where we're to go. If I had a dime for every time I knew where I was going and didn't need any instructions, and Angela sat beside me and said, should we stop and ask? And I say, no, I've got this. I don't know how many times I've purchased something. Here's the picture on the box. Here's the stuff that it's supposed to look like that. I can do that. And so you maybe sometimes it's pretty intimidating. So you start putting a few things together. And you go, oh, I see how this goes. And you start putting it together. Well, you're supposed to put that one thing on because it gets covered up. And so you've got to take everything apart in order to put the one thing on that's very important. So there's so often we don't want to follow instructions. And what, what, what this guy is saying is, I love the Lord so much, I want to study Him and know Him through His Word. I want to grab what I can from Him. And it's, it's, it's a priority in his life. Why? Because he doesn't want to stray from the commands of the Lord. That's important to connect those two. Because a lot of times we may have an intense desire to study the Word of God for a lot of wrong reasons. But are our reasons really to know the God of the Bible and to be obedient to Him as prescribed through His Word? Not what I think. Not what my tradition says. But what the Word of God says. And so you see that. I I am pursuing you, Lord, with everything so that I might not stray against you. It goes on in verse 11 again. It says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This is probably one of the first verses in the Bible that I ever memorized. It's one that's very familiar to me. One that I don't know that until the last several years I've really grasped the meaning of. I mean, I obviously understood it. It's not hard to understand hiding the Word of God in your heart to keep you from sinning, but to practice that, to really appreciate that, to have the right motivation behind it. One guy says it this way. We can be assured that before the Word was hidden in the heart, it was received in the mind. The psalmist heard and read the Word of God, and thought about it continually, until it became ingrained in both his mind and his heart. Now, I know you all are familiar with that concept, because Steve says that regularly. Uh, Something like this, and I'll probably butcher it up, but I can change my mind... But God can change. But God can only God can change my heart. God can change my heart, 
but I have to change my mind. And it's something like that. It's true. I hide your word in my heart. I'm passionate about your word. I read your word. Why? Because I want to know you. I want to be obedient to you. To identify what is right and wrong according to God's word is the intent of one who hides God's word in his or her heart. But the challenge is so often we know what is right, but do we do what is right? Do we pursue the things that we know the Word is teaching us? How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your Word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This person is describing God's Word as essential... And the need that you and I have to allow it to influence us. Verse 12. It simply says, Praise be to you, Lord, teach me your decrees. This is why I believe that David wrote uh, this particular passage. Um, So often when I'm reading David, I don't know, when you read the Psalms that David wrote and even look at his life, he's a man of character, he's a man of love for the Lord, and and so often he could have taken things into his own hands and nobody would have blamed him. And his guys were even saying, hey, yeah, go ahead and take the king out. As King Saul was passionately pursuing to kill him. And David says, no, I won't touch the anointed. One of my favorite, favorite things to do is to read through the Psalms. And in my Bible study, annually there is the section that I read, but I go back time and time again because I so relate to it, as I know many of you do. Because here's the thing. When you study especially the Psalms that David wrote, it's simply this. He's a guy that struggles. He's a guy with genuine enemies trying to kill him. He's a man that was anointed by God to do a specific task in the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. And so the spiritual warfare that this man faced and the attacks that this man faced were genuine and big and huge. But through it all, he had a passion for God, a love for the Lord, a desire for His Word. And when you look at the Psalms of David, he may say something like, everybody is out to get me. My enemies are chasing me. My pillows are full of tears. Night after night after sleepless night. I pursue you, God. Where are you? I don't see you. I don't feel you. But I know you're here because your words. And then he'll stop in the middle of that. And then he'll just simply praise God. Lord, this might be what I'm dealing with. This might be what I'm thinking about. But praise be the holy God of Israel. I love Psalm 34. It's one of my favorite psalms. This is a psalm David wrote. He begins that in verse 1. I will praise the Lord at all times. His praises shall continually be in my mouth. He writes that at a time right after he's acted the fool. Probably one of, in my opinion, one of the lowest times in his life because... He walked in the flesh in a way that led him to act the fool before King Abimelech. 
in the Philistine land? I don't know. And again, when I read that, and I know there's commentary that talk about various aspects of it, but I cannot imagine a man of God, a man who slew Goliath, a man who just was walking in his faith time and time again, had a moment of weakness to act like a fool, and then he writes this psalm amidst of Saul wanting to kill him and the Philistines wanting to kill him and everybody's against him and his men might be, hey, what's going on? He stops and he begins by, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will bless the Lord continually. I apply that to my life because how often do I complain? If God's Word is telling me to have such a dependency on the Lord in such a way that it can affect how I think, how I react, how I live, how I treat my family, how I treat others, how I treat the person that waited on me at the restaurant with the same compassion and love and care that God has, if I'm really embracing the Word of God that way, I too can praise the Lord at all times. In sickness, in health, in poverty, in doubts, in insecurities, in fear. I can praise the Lord at all times. And so when you look at this, he's going along. Now, he's, he's, it, this is the way I look at it. This is the way my mind works. And so just humor me because this is the love I have for the Word. He's going along, verse 1, verse 2, verse 3. He's talking about the Word of God, and this acrostic poem that he's using. He's using these words, and he's, he's magnifying the Word of God, which magnifies the God of the Word of God. And as he's going along, he's talking about you know staying pure and hiding God's Word in his heart and not wanting to sin and all these things. And it's like he catches himself as he's talking about the Word of God. And he's got to pause for a moment. He's got verse 12 where he just simply says, Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me more. I want to know you more. I want to know your decrees. I want to know your law. I want to meditate more. I want to know more. Why? Because the God of this Bible loves you and I so much. He wants a relationship. He's done everything to have the relationship with us that we can have with Him. We just have to submit to Him. And you learn how to submit when you embrace the Word of God. Say it this way. Psalm 119 is not about having good intentions about studying the Word of God. It's not about agreeing to make God's Word an essential part of your life, although those are important things. It's really not what it's about. It is about an excitement that comes from continued experiences. And here's the key phrase. Don't miss this. Continued experiences from engaging regularly I would say daily and I'm learning how to make that moment by moment in God's word it's not about good intentions it's not about agreeing it's about regularly engaging in God's word that's the difference 
See, that's, that's a big difference. And, and here's, here's the thing, and I've I got to share this. I would love to say that at age, age 16, I became a believer, which I did. Age 17, I felt the Lord moving me to ministry, so I just pursued that. And he opened up doors that no one could shut, and He closed doors that no one could open. And I am where I am today because of the Lord and the moving of the Spirit of the Lord. And having said that, I wish, I wish I could stand before you and say that from the age 16 on, there's been such a love and passion for the Word of God. But there hasn't. There hasn't been. I was in college learning how to pass a test through God's Word as I studied the book of Romans or Corinthians or wherever, Old Testament, New Testament. It became a textbook. Although I'd never say it that way. That was the reality. I'm just being honest. Uh, Shortly after graduating school, landed in my first job. I told you that Betsy and her brother and others were part of that initial group, and I'm green behind the ears, but I've been a... I've been a Christian now for six or seven years. I should have known better. But I began to learn how to study so that I could do this, stand in front of people and say, hey, here's what God's Word says. Got good at studying to pass a test, good at studying to present something. But I was still struggling. And learning God's Word to get to know Him. Big difference. Huge difference. So what does the Lord do? He loves me. He's told me that time and time and time again in His Word. So what does He do? He puts people in my life. He puts hard things in my life. Why? Because He loves me so much, and I might be like a little kid looking at everything. He's like He reaches down, He grabs me by the face, and He says, Listen, You prayed all those years ago that you really want to have a relationship with me and bring others to a saving knowledge of who I am in development and growth. Let me show you how. So one by one, he's had to strip so many things from my life that I thought was important. Some of them are good things. They seem good, but anything, any. Thing that comes between you and your relationship with the Lord is an idol. I don't care what it is. And so one by one, I really believe and can see how God is shedding those things. And this kid that's doing this all the time, you know, is doing this more and more. And it's simply not because I'm anything. It's because the God of all creation heard my prayer and prayers, and simply has grabbed me by the face and pulls me in close because He wants to have that kind of relationship with me. I don't deserve it. And it's all about Him. Praise His name. That's what I'm learning through my Bible study. I love... And I'm serious, I've told Angela this a few times, and and this is the truth, and I can say this in front of you, God is my witness in everything. The highlight of my day is the time I get to spend in the Word. It is. I, 
I love technology because technology's opened up a variety of avenues by which to study the Word of God. Um, for me, what that means is I, I, I will sit on the weekends. I've got a chair in my bedroom, and it's my laptop and my phone. My phone has the Bible app on it, version, and I'm going through a read through the Bible. There's also um, various devotions. I'm not a big devotion kind of a guy. I think they're shallow, but that's my opinion. They can be a gateway to lead you to a love for the Lord, and, and, and that's just my opinion. I think that nothing can replace studying of the Word of God. I sit there and I'll, I'll pull up that day's reading. And what I love about doing it this way is I can hit um, play. I got my laptop there so I can follow and I can pause them both and I can pull up commentaries and try to fully engage um, in what that means. Uh, uh, and that's fun for me. It really is. Um, if there's anything in my day that I could do, that's it. And, I, and I'm also in a position where I have the luxury of being able to do that. And I would pray that if, if, if my circumstances were different, I don't care what time I'm at work, that would still be my first hour of my life each day. But I'd advocate figuring out how that works for you. This is how it works for me. Technology is open. I love to hear the Word of God. And I'm going to mention that in a moment. But there's something about the spoken Word of God as it comes out of your mouth and it fills up the space that you're in. And you take any passage and as you're hearing it, it's as if you're proclaiming it so loudly in a way that Satan himself has to bow down. God's Word is essential. I can't emphasize that enough. If you don't love it or have the time or the passion, all you got to do is say, Lord, help me, help me, help me. And those are, that's music to God's ears. Because He wants us to be in that place. We just got to be willing. It's not about good intentions. It's not about agreeing. It is about engaging. When you get to verses 13 through 16, uh, 13 and 14 is kind of a declaration that takes place. And then 15 and 16 is the commitment to what is being declared. Uh, verse 13 says, With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. Um, another way to say it is with... Your lips I have recited, or with my lips I have recited aloud the laws that come from your mouth. I think what he's trying to say here is there is something about the spoken word of God. And, and I do take that literally. Um, before I was pulling up the Version Bible app and letting some guy who eloquently reads 
uh, those hard words and hard names. I started practicing in my time reading the word out loud. I just want to hear it. I want to speak it. I believe there's power in the spoken word of God. Uh, Both in temptation or times of testing, but also in worship. You know, when, when, when Jesus was tempted, and there's three that are recorded, but we know there was more. And I believe each time the example we have in the Gospels of how that He spoke to Satan is how He always spoke to. He didn't say, well, this is what I think, although He could have. If there's anybody that could have said, hey, let me tell you what I think, what I would say. But under the submission to the Father that He talked about time and time again, His purpose... He submitted to the will of God, and so in doing so, when Satan would tempt him to turn rocks to bread or to throw himself down from the pinnacle of the temple or whatever, he just simply said, it is written. And then he would quote something out of the Word, which he was the, in, is the Word. I don't know how, you know, you think about it. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God. And Jesus is the Word, and yet He's Word in flesh. And again, if there's anybody that could have simply said, hey, this is what I say, He had that authority. But the example He gave you and I is to know the Word of God, to engage regularly in the Word of God, I would say daily, so that as you are being tempted, as you are being tested, as things are being thrown at you, you can simply say, no, it is written. It is written. So there's times of temptation where the spoken word of God is such an example to us, but obviously in worship. Just a moment ago, we were singing words to the Lord. Ah, I know there's passages in, in the Bible that talk about, you know, going through the motions of outward worship. It's not what God wants. It's noise to Him. It's a stench. But when we sing words to God, and I love there's several, several songs out there that directly quote the Word of God. I think some of those songs are the most mm, impactful in my worship to literally throw back to the Lord the words that He has spoken and given to us. And not to say that there's other praise and worship songs that don't at least embrace the Word of God. Um... There's something about the spoken word in temptation worship. In verse 14 it says, I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. Now this isn't equating riches and someone who knows the Bible, follows the Lord, all that stuff. It's not the same. It's not what he's saying. Um, but I think every one of us can relate to finding a $5 bill. A 20, I found a $20 bill one time. I was a kid, and I thought I was rich. You know, you're wa- walking to school or wherever I was going, and there was this $20 bill with, amongst other trash. And it's not, I, I don't know what it is about money, but you're walking by, you see that. It could be a quarter nowadays. I, I don't care, but... It, I saw it, and this little boy's heart just went, Wah, there's a 20. 
got it and thought I was rich and took it home later and showed it. My mom, look, I'm rich. I'm rich. You want to go to lunch? (laughs) We understand that. Same time, I've received bills, unexpected bills over the years in the mail. You know, you find a 20-year excited. You get that unexpected bill for $4,500 because you went to an ER. Um, That's not a fun bill to get. It invokes a different response. And so the psalmist here, again, I'm just, uh, he's not trying to say it's the same. He's just comparing it because we can understand the difference between finding some money at the curb and getting a bill in the mail. One brings an excitement, the other doesn't. And so what he's saying is the value in understanding God's word is similar to that experience or that expression is all he's trying to say. 15 and 16, commitment, commitment to the Lord. I will meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees and will not neglect or forget your word. I meditate on your precepts. I love that verse. Um, Meditation on God's word. You know, I know I... May have said something discouraging the uh, devotional, but I learned how to love the Word of God through a devotional. So it's you know, I don't know gateway gate. I know what I'm thinking. I don't know if I should say it. gateway drug. Okay, uh, don't want to reference any illegal substances in a sermon, but you get what I'm saying, and y'all know where I was going with that. So I will stop there, and we'll go back to the spiritual route. I believe devotions can create a habit. But for the most part, it's just a little nugget. And there's so many nuggets you'll miss if you're not in the Word itself. But that's how I learned to love the Lord and learn to meditate on His Word. Because what I would do is I'd take a devotional and maybe it was talking about, I don't know, the tongue. And so through the course of the day, I would meditate on the words that I say. And when you become aware of the words you say, because you read something that morning in God's Word, when you say something negative to your spouse or to a co-worker or to a neighbor or to the person that cut you off on Glenstone Avenue or whatever, we've got a Cooper Street that's the same as Glenstone or Battlefield or whatever, you begin to think about it, you meditate on it, you ask God to, you see the failure and you ask God to give you more and more of a patient heart. So there's that meditation aspect of it. Meditation for me has changed because whatever I read in the morning, I try to apply it to my day. And if you're really looking for that, God will show you how what you just studied applied and really prepared you for what you were about to encounter that day. How many times has that happened? I'm reading something, I think, man, that was good. And a few hours later, I'm in the middle of a situation that I needed that passage to get me through it. Now, I would love to say, yeah, man, and every time, it's whoo, I never mess up. It's usually after I've messed up, I'm like, oh, yeah. But there are times that it's, man, thank you, Lord. Because it did prepare me to deal with that hostile person. It did prepare me for that person that I really want to share my heart with about Christ. Um, 
It's, it's an overused illustration, but it's one that meant a lot to me. I think of the Word of God and the meditation of God's Word, because again, you can read a lot of stuff in the Word, and you, you can read whatever, and it's done, and you know it. When you meditate, it becomes more of your inner being. It's the heart aspect of it, because you begin to see it, how it interacts with your day. But you can take a coffee mug right here and you can take hot water in that coffee mug and take a tea bag and you can take that tea bag on that little string and you can dip it into that hot cup of water. You can count to five. One, two, three, four, five. And you pull that out. What do you have in your mug? If you do that, go home and do this. Take a tea bag, put it in there, pull it out. Count five seconds. Now, that water is still hot. Some might think they have tea, but man, it is weak tea at best. You smell it, it still smells like water, but there might be a hint. Y'all know where I'm going with this. You can drink that and you're just going to taste bland water to me but if you take that tea bag and you put it in there and you let it stew for 10 minutes 5 minutes whatever not only does the water change color it changes flavor that's huge that's just a simple way to think about meditating on God's Word. And that's the practice that I've seen in my life. I'm telling you from experience. The more I meditate on God's Word, the more that I really chew on whatever it is I studied that morning, I see it come to life throughout the day. I want God's Word to change me. I don't want to look like water. I want to look like tea. I want to taste like tea. I want to smell like tea. I want to be tea. Again, he del- verse 16, he just simply says, I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect. I, w- I won't forget your word. All of this chapter, all of this passage, you could argue all of Scripture, points to Scripture, points to the God of Scripture. And we learn it, we study it in our generation. And I'll just say in America, we have so many ways to get into the Word of God. Through video, through podcasts, through the Word itself, and however many different versions you want it. Bible apps... Whatever, we have access here in America to the Word of God in so many different ways. Why? So that we'll hide God's Word in our heart that we just might not sin against Him. That we might be obedient to Him. That we might see some of the precepts and the understanding of God's Word and allow it to transform our lives. So that we won't forget it. I've already used Ange, so I'm going to use her again. I showed y'all her little note. I love those lips. Those lips and those lips. I remember meeting Angela. That's a day I'm never going to forget. 
I remember where I was here in Springfield the very first time I held her hand. I don't know if I've told you this, but we're sitting, there's a ball game. There's one season, the season, first season she played, uh, we had been playing for a while, and it seemed like every game night it rained. Every game night it rained. So I forget what, I think we're, is Metter here, Metter Park? Okay, I think we're at Metter Park. And we're out there, and I was there early. We were there early. Now, when I met Angela, she just showed up at church. She didn't have a car. I graciously volunteered to take her wherever we go. You want to go somewhere? I'll take you. She lived real close, but we were playing ball. And, hey, we've got a place on the co-ed team. Do you want to play? So we're... um, and I say that comically, but initially, I really just was trying to be friends with her. And then God changed that pretty quickly. But there was just a desire. She was a neat person. I wanted to know her more. So we're playing ball, and, and, and I don't know, we met in probably March. And so somewhere around June, uh, might have been before school got out, we're sitting in the parking lot waiting for the game to get called because it hasn't started raining yet, but there it is. It's coming, but it's kind of a cool day. And she's rubbing her hands. She's all doing this. And, and, and she's talking about how cold her hands are. So me, having very, very warm hands, I said, well, let me see. So there in my little Chevy truck, I reached over and grabbed her hands and warmed them up. Now, to her, I was just warming her hands up. To me, whoo, I was making a move. Now, we didn't hold hands. I warmed her hands up, but I remember that. I do remember the first time we held hands, and, and, and that was on the 4th of July, when you literally walk around like you're in junior high. Even though I'm 26 years old, I'm walking around like I'm some sort of schoolboy in love. Why do I remember that? Because I love her. I've, I've shared my life with her. We've, we've got some battle scars in our marriage. We've got some battle scars in our lives. But that woman that God has given me has stood beside me through everything and encouraged me and loved me. And I would say God has used her to enhance my relationship with Him in phenomenal ways. I also remember the very first time she told me she loved me. It was right after I asked her to marry me hoping she'd say yes, because we weren't that couple that, oh, I love you, oh, I love you, let's get married. No, I literally had no clue whether she would say yes or not. Now, that gal there, she played hardball with me. Uh, She acted like, oh, you're just a guy. But later I found out I was somewhat special. I say all that, you know, I, I use a lot of personal illustrations because it's what I know. I use a lot of marital illustrations because you find a lot of marital illustrations here. Um, bride of Christ, groom. I think I relate to that so well, and we, we can so often. God's Word is important because it's Him telling us He loves us. It's Him telling us how to pursue Him. It's Him saying, you will never find greater opportunities in life, whatever it is, than when you fully submit your life to Me. And it's just that simple. 
He works through all the issues. You know, I've got problems. God doesn't have one problem at all. None. I come to him, God, this is a really hard thing. As if he's going, I hope I can figure this out. (laughs) I unpack so many things before the Lord. He graciously listens and he says, I got it. How do I know that? It's here in his word. Again, the, the psalmist simply says, I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect. I will not forget your word. You're never going to be able to say that if you're not in it. Final thought is just simply this. The entire chapter of the book of Psalm, or Psalm 119 is a celebration of the written word of God. Throughout this chapter, the author expresses the blessings that come from knowing God through His Word. The more a believer treasures Scripture, the greater the impact it will have on their, our lives. And I say it again, and I don't know that there's a more compassionate sentence I can say to you right now. God's Word is essential in your life, in my life. Let it influence all aspects of your life. Your relationships, your media consumption, your speech, how you drive. That's a hard one. It'll change your life. I'm a living testimony that it's changed my life. And I would love that for you, for my sons, for your kids and grandkids. And the little. I love walking in a while ago and there's so many little kids running around. What an opportunity ODF has to pour into those little guys and gals. Wow. What a jewel. What a blessing that is. Teach them the Word. Teach them Psalm 119. And remind them what verse 9 is all about. Let's pray. God, so often I think about your word, Lord, moments like this, Lord, and the first thing, I just simply want to bow before you and say, God, the things that just came out of my my mouth, Lord, I desperately want it to be a part of my life, not just something I just said. Not something I just believe. But Lord, I I want this to be who I am because of who I am in You. And so Lord, please teach me through Your Word how to live this thing called life in a relationship with You. And Lord, You know where I struggle. And so, Father, 
I pray that the things I preached, the things I teach, the things that I believe, Lord, you're perfecting in me. Lord, I don't know. I don't know the lives of each person sitting in front of me. I don't know the difficulties. I don't know the blessings. I don't know so many things that day by day by day that they are facing, that they encounter the ups and downs of life, Lord, all the things we think about that make up our life. But I know this, there is an adversary that is roaming around that wants to remove the thoughts, the pursuit, the passion of pursuing you through your word. He'll throw at them a hectic schedule. He'll throw at them bad decisions. He will throw at them so many things. And so, Father, I pray that, Lord, you are sovereign. You are all-powerful. And, Lord, your word teaches there is something about simply talking to you that it, it moves mountains. So, Father, I pray over all of us this morning that you protect, that you grow, that you enhance the Word of God in our lives in such a way Lord, it just influences everything we do. Lord, I thank you so much for Steve and for Angela and Father, what they personally mean to me. Lord, I thank you for their friendship. I thank you for their love. Lord, I thank you for the difficult questions Steve sometimes asks me. And Father, we rejoice in what you're doing in Open Door Fellowship. What you will do To the faithfulness of your servants. Lord, you know my heart in this moment. I really don't want this moment to end. To the Spirit of God, what's cool? Doesn't have to. We praise your holy name, Lord Jesus. And it is and the precious, the saving name of Jesus Christ. Amen.